Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Hello and welcome to another episode of Turn the Page, the official podcast of Syosset Public Library. I'm Jen, uh, your co-host for today, or rather one of your co-hosts, because today I am also here with... Melissa, hi. (laughs) And Melissa and I are here with the author of a really exciting new cookbook inspired by a fandom of which we are both members. That's why I'm wearing my shirt. (laughs) Yeah, for those who are only listening, we have a Stephen King shirt represented here. Um, So let's talk to our author. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book? Of course. Thank you for having me. My name's Teresa Carl Sanders, and I am the author of Castle Rock Kitchen, which is wicked good recipes from the world of Stephen King. Excellent. Do you want to start us off, Melissa? Sure. Um, So my first probably major question is, you got Stephen King to write the introduction, and obviously you got him to sign off on the rights to these uh, recipes. How did you get in contact? Like, I can't imagine you just called him up and were like, Hey, Stephen. Like, hey, Steve. Steve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, hey, baby. No. I, um, I have a really good agent, Susan, who um, give her two floors on an elevator and she'll talk you into anything quite seriously <laughs> in, a, in a good way. Um, and I don't know. I never did ask her. I she probably pulled a personal favor to get his agent, Chuck Farrell's number. Chuck is dead now. So um, he's been... there's someone else agenting for Steven, but, um, and, and she did it. I can still remember the call. She was calling, she lives in LA and I lived at the time on a tiny Island on the West coast of Canada. And, uh, she called me in traffic on speakerphone and said, he said, yes. And that was January 21st, 2020. No, yes. 2020. Yes. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. And so I read for the pandemic. I had already read, let's say, 25 to 30 novels um, to do the proposal. But then after that, the pandemic hit almost right after that. So I was in a deep, dark Stephen King well for a long time on a very small island. <laughs> that sounds wow. magical. It, it, it was out of a Stephen King book. It does. Like one of the metal ones, <laughs> yeah. you know, like... <laughs> That's so interesting. It was the perfect atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what a way to really immerse yourself in his world, you know, which must have been like a really helpful thing in order to write this book. That does kind of lead to one of my questions, which is, um, so this is your, your second uh, sort of like fandom inspired cookbook. Is that right? Or is there? It, it's my third. third. So, oh, I'm sorry. Outlander, I have two Outlander Kitchen. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Number one and number two. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so Castle Rock Kitchen is number three. Excellent. Yeah, I um I'm curious about whether these were uh were these fandoms that you already belonged to, um and then in addition to that, like what was your kind of research process for either familiarizing yourself or refamiliarizing yourself? Yeah, um I uh, was a big fan of Diana Gabaldon's from um let's say 2003 on um and i i had the idea for a recipe from voyager which is the third book in the series um in 2009 and i asked i sort of had it in the woods with 
walking with a dog on this tiny island. Um, and it's pigeon rolls with truffle was the very first recipe I ever did. And Diana got back to me the next day and said, wow, what a weird idea. Why don't you do it? And so we did it and she put it on her social media. And so it got a lot of attention. And then for the next like five, six years, I had a blog and I blogged Outlander Food. And along the way, there was a TV show. And from the TV show, we, we went from millions of strange time travel fans to tens of millions. Um, and at that point, the publishers decided there was, I mean, I'd been asking for years to, to, to write a cookbook. Um, and, but it was with the TV show that they said yes. And then I wrote the second Outlander Kitchen Cookbook in 20, it came out actually during the pandemic, 2020. Um, and, and it sold very well, I think just because everybody was at home baking and trying to pretend they were in the 18th century and some, <laughs> and some Outlander fans anyway. And I've been a, a fan of Stephen King's um, pretty much my whole adult life as well. When I married my husband, he's a big horror fan. Um, and so I really... I did read all the Stephen King ones, uh, a lot of his early works. But when we started this project, um, I started in the order they were published. And so I went from Carrie all the way through to Elevation. Um, I skipped the Dark Tower series for a certain reason at that time, because that's tens of thousands of pages. Um, and from there, you know, from Carrie, at the beginning, it was a bit worrying. There was a root beer and a hamburger. <laughs> and that's all there is in the entire novel. And I had thought I'd been so clever. And, and I was like, oh, what a great idea. Tens of millions of fans. He's got like, mil you know, 60, he's got dozens of books. So I've got all this material to draw from. Um, and some pretty intense fans. Intense fans help a lot to sell <laughs> things like this. Um, and it just, it, it, it got better. Thank God for Salem's lot was the next one. And there was a nice bolognese, nice spaghetti sounding spaghetti sauce in that. So, um, I did that. And then elevation, there's a gourmet Mexican restaurant. So there's all these delicious Mexican food, um, that's described. It's really ideal actually. <laughs> so you were a fan of Stephen King before you actually started the research for this. And I know you said you read it um, in order for the research, but what was the first book you ever read by him? And what is your favorite book by him? That's a good question. I The first book I ever read was The Shining. Um, and that was because uh, my best friend in the whole world, we've been friends since we were five years old, uh, but she had seen The Shining when she was too young. And, <laughs> and, we, got, and we, we were having a sleepover. And she scared the bejesus out of me, chasing me around the house with red rum, red rum. Anyway, it's a long story. Um, and then I was quite damaged by that, to be honest. I was quite a timid child. Uh, and so when I was about 18, I decided I was going to read The Shining and get over this hiccup that I had. Mm -hmm. And I've still never watched the movie. I don't really know if I want to, to be honest. I've seen enough clips to know that I'll just be like this the whole time. So. <laughs> um, and then my favorite Stephen King. Uh, I have a few. I love 112263. One of my favorites. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Favorites. Yeah. It's got a beautiful love story in it. And I, and I'm obviously got a time travel thing. Mm -hmm. um, and then I like, uh, the other one I really like is Needful Things. And that's just because it's so deliciously evil. It's just so evil. There is no redeeming quality about really any of those people yes. and normally normally i would be really put off by that many unlikable characters 
but for it's just Stephen King's magical way of, of writing and bringing them alive. I think that's amazing because you just talked about like my two absolute favorite books by him. <laughs> and I'll, people always say, I'm looking for a nice long read and I'll say 11, 22, 63. And they're like, but Stephen King is scary. And I'm like, no, this is not a scary book. No, it's oh, a exactly. love story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exactly. Funny you happened upon Stephen King accidentally. And so did <laughs> I. I accidentally read his book for an eighth grade um, summer reading course and didn't understand half the book, yeah. <laughs> wrote like a two-page paper on it and ended up getting an A. But the teacher had to pull me aside and was like, Melissa, you read the wrong book. And I was like, oh, oh. my goodness. And I just became a fan ever since. Nice. <laughs> that's, so. an ex- that's an excellent first book story. That's a great book. Story. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Mine mine was uh, completely inappropriate at the time. I think I was like 10 years old and it, <laughs> and it was Gerald's game. Oh my which goodness. was oh my gosh. Like <laughs> all have the same face. Yeah, like trauma. Like just <laughs> that's quite funny. That yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So one something I'm curious about, something I'm super interested in is how uh, well-researched this is. And part of that is like you being a fan and having read his stuff and then reimmerse yourself. But part of it is also like, um, like I was so impressed by the section of like staples, you know, and they're all sort of like main, like local products and stuff that like, you know, it feels very authentic and very like, you know, real for like yeah. recreating the kind of main atmosphere. Exactly. And like, what was your research like for that? It was difficult because it was the pandemic and I lived on a small island with 2,500 other people and I couldn't get off that island for uh, the first six months. We weren't, unless it was, unless th- there was an emergency, we couldn't leave the island. Um, but Maine has the most incredible archive of every agricultural pamphlet, every um, fishing, all the seafood, all that stuff, like from the fifties, the beautiful mid-century stuff is all in very easy to find on Google. And I, and I found that, so I used a lot of that. I had a lot of books from Maine, old Marjorie Standish is an old Maine um, newspaper columnist that used to have a, a, a recipe every week in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read her books again from the sixties, early seventies. So it's, some of it is really plain standard boiled down like boiled fish and milk i mean it's <laughs> awful sounding like <laughs> scallops that scallops baked in milk oh my god how to ruin scallops in less than 10 minutes um <laughs> uh, but there's always things you can take from that right and i also took her vo- a bit of her voice she was very straightforward and um plain speaker and and i did speak to stephen king on the telephone for 30 minutes oh. um and he's a yeah he's a really generous lovely man um and he told me stories about his mom's cooking um, tabitha's cooking and then also um what he likes to eat what he he, tabitha can't taste anymore because she's lost her sense of smell so she doesn't really have any interest in cooking so he cooks for himself which you see on twitter when he tells you how to cook salmon in a microwave <laughs> yeah. i don't know if you saw that but it but it was quite funny i was yeah. just like just put salt on it just put salt on it. at least it anyway um and 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 i talked to him and he told me that dolores claiborne was the most main character he'd ever written um and so i read went and read that again and then i 
flipped back to the beginning of the book and I read it again. And I, if you've ever read it, it's probably the most difficult of his books to get through. I find it so anyway, um, just because it's all in the first person and there's no punctuation. really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that kind of thing really bugs me. But anyway, um, she was a great model for a voice. And we were looking for an in-world voice, like you say, to keep the, you know, all the pantry ingredients, all the staples, and then put one more layer and have a character from a novel narrate the cookbook, which is something I've never done before. And it scared the pants off of me. Um, so Stephen King sort of gave me that help by picking that voice, by telling me to go to Dolores Claiborne, but I didn't want to choose a character that already had a voice because then I would have to copy Stephen King, which is really my yeah. ultimate nightmare. I mean, yeah. that would keep me up for weeks at night. Um, and so <laughs> I found this, I found this little gem of a woman named Mrs. Garrity. We don't even know her first name and it's from the long walk mm -hmm. and it's the first story he ever wrote. So he wrote it when he was 19, but it was published as a Bachman book. Um, and we meet Mrs. Garrity at the beginning and I think she has five words to say. Um, and she hands her son some hermit cookies. So that's where that whole thing was born. I was like, oh, hermits. And then about three pages later, I flip or skim back on my Kindle and said, oh, she's going to work. She's going to work because she's lived in Maine her whole life. She's got her whole family lives in Maine. She's not going anywhere because it's a pretty dystopian world. Um, the I don't want to spoil the end, but but she has unlimited she she lives in a mean time with unlimited means because of what her son did in the long walk. Um, and so she can buy things and make recipes and do things that nobody else in her world would be able to do. Right. I mean, everybody there is scrounging, but she's got money so she can. And it was just fun. Mm. I love that. I like because that's what, that was one of my questions. I'm like this random character when there's just so many people <laughs> i love i love that you gave her the voice instead i love that it's like her own little her own I little think, side piece yeah oh yeah and i think stephen king thought it was a bit weird he was i kept saying well i've chosen mrs garrity and there would be silence and he'd be like well let's talk about dolores claiborne again then. <laughs> okay but and i and i didn't i couldn't put it into words at the time but I could never write like Dolores Claiborne and, and there's a few other, I mean, I had a few other choices, I guess. Um, but like Dick Halloran is a great cook, but that's not really my voice, is it? So yeah, there's, um, and because the dark tower and all that, there's a, there's a great cook in the dark tower that would make a great narrator, but mm -hmm. these stories all take place in Maine. So there are some books that have been left behind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that because Stephen King, all of his books tie into or all his Castle Rock books kind of yeah. tie into each other. And I love the fact that all of or a lot of your recipes kind of tie into each other. You The strawberry shortcake, it bakes like the biscuits or the sauce from one recipe can be used on another recipe. Did you do that on purpose to kind of tie them all in as a Stephen King book would be? Or is that just how you do a recipe? It, it seems to happen. Um it happened in Outlander kitchen too. And it, and it makes for a really nice smooth thing because you've got, I can see people flipping back and forth between the <laughs> notes and stuff, which is really cool. Right. It means you're really engaged in reading. Mm. Um, and, and um, editors don't like it. <laughs> They're like, Oh, Teresa, it's such a pain in the ass. And I'm like, no, but you got to have, you know, you got to have the stuffing on the blue plate special, but you got to have stuffings anyway. Um, <laughs> so 
it happens by accident, but I think it's because there's themes like we're in Maine all the time, right? We've ignored all these other books. So we're only ever in Maine. So the same types of food come up. Same thing in Outlander, you know, bread and ale is mentioned. I can tell you probably 6,000 times across 10 books. I've written them all down. At one point in my life, I've written them all down. Um, and, and so you get themes going, right? And then you're like, oh, that sauce would be, would work really well there. And in Maine, we're working with seafood. So you have to have tartar sauce. You have to have other things too. And they all group, they all go together. I love that. I love, I love <laughs> tying into each other. Yeah, that's very cool. Mm -hmm. um, so this is probably, I guess, like a general cookbook writing question more, mm -hmm. you know, rather than being specifically about cooking Stephen King stuff. But um, like, what is the process like for crafting an individual recipe? Like, do you have to cook it multiple times in order to land on, you know, ingredients and ratios and stuff like that? Like how much testing goes in before something is like finalized on the page? Sometimes it can be once and then there'll be a big yippee. Um, other times, usually with a really expensive ingredient, it takes uh, sometimes four, five, six times. If I'm really have, there's always two or three recipes that are just a pain, and I I don't know why. Um, but once I get them, I'm a I am a trained cook, and I've been reading food magazines and Martha Stewart cookbooks since I was a little little girl. And so when I write recipes, it's you know writing a recipe is really a technical it's technical writing. So it's kind of like writing VCR instruction manuals, but one for one is a Toshiba, one's a Sony, and it can be really dry. Um, but anyway, so then once I've got it to the point where I like it, and then I move on to, and I get them all done, then I send them off to my testers. And I've got 12 testers now that have been with me from book one of Outlander. I put a call out on the internet and I got a thousand responses back and I had to pick 10 people. Um, and I picked 10 pretty great people. I would say they're all pretty, like they could get money for testing recipes. Now they know how to do it. They know how to give me the feedback. Um, and what they're doing is checking, you know, it, just in case I haven't put a tablespoon of salt instead of a teaspoon or I, or the temperature is wrong. Their oven is quite different from mine. And so it works differently. Um, and that goes on for about three months. And then after that, I turn the manuscript into the editor. Mm -hmm. That kind of technical writing is can be really tricky, you know, because in some cases you are trying to explicate a process that you have internalized <laughs> so thoroughly. Yeah. Like, it, you know, some things that you sort of just do by muscle memory, you might not remember to kind of put in there for somebody who is like approaching yeah. uh, a recipe yeah. time. So, yeah, like that's also a really challenging part. Like, how do you kind of like, how do you explain your expertise to uh, a beginner? You know, it's not like, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. It gets easier. I mean, there's only so many ways you can describe things now and, and a lot of techniques get repeated over and over. So it is getting easier. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing I have learned is I am not allowed, if I've made something, I'm not allowed to go to sleep until I've written it out, at least typed it out at least typed it out because the next morning I'm like, I don't remember anything of what I did because I've been doing this for, you know, whatever, four months. And I, they're all, they all become the same recipe after a while. <laughs> and the only differentiation in my head sometimes is the book. The book will pop up and I'll be like, oh yeah. Okay. Under the dome. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> Cinnamon rolls. Okay. Here we go. 
Yeah. <laughs> and the craziest part is that not only are you writing down this recipe in this chemistry type scientific way, you're doing mm. it from a voice not your own. Oh yeah. That's the mm-hmm. that's yeah. the craziest part. <laughs> it's like the recipe recipe itself really is me it's really me even if if you go and look at outland of the outlander kitchen cookbooks where i'm not writing in world it's just me um the recipes sound the same but the head notes and the chapter introductions are all in mrs garrity's main very yeah she sounds a little bit like my grand one of my grandmothers and she sounds a little bit like my mom (laughs) um and a little bit like me and a a couple of grouchy people i've met along the way and dolores playboy (laughs) (laughs) they all tie into each other yes they do yeah um how did uh, you probably i mean you read all the books and everything like that as you were saying um but every once in a while you would mention a character in one of the headers on the side of the Mm. recipe and i would honestly have to go over to google and be like who is this character? How, <laughs> how did you keep them all in line? How did you like? Were you that was like Google on the side? <laughs> yes. So I so on top of all my main research, I also had um, a, like there's a there's a Stephen King wiki, right? Yes. And it's and it's pretty accurate. I I always tried to have two at least three sources at, or two if I couldn't find a third, just to make sure I was on the right track because there is a lot of information out there people just pontificating about and not really knowing there's some really good uh bev vincent writes about stephen king like sort of as an as a biographer of him and he's got some great notes um it's just the last two weeks were really hard like i barricaded myself in my office and i was going through and making sure they were all right and my editor was was hauling me back a little bit just to make sure that we didn't make you do too much work, right? Like you can't be too obscure with the mention because then people get a bit turned off. So you kind of, she, she, most of the time I'm, if it's the recipe, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about someone in the same book, right? I'm not, I wasn't allowed to talk about other people because I was like, but yeah, but all this other stuff is going off over here on castle rock and another book and i want to mention that she's like no teresa slow down <laughs> I, got really, I got really into it it was really fun yeah that is like a, a a really fun kind of thing like because whenever i am looking for um merchandise you know is a very cynical term but whenever i'm looking for an object or something to read that ties into like a fandom i love or something like a tv show or a book or like a spin-off or like the 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 piece of like memorabilia okay. or whatever it is like memorabilia a, is a better one than merch yeah for sure it's the really cynical one yeah <laughs> i like i like when the thing itself could exist in world you know like theoretically mm-hmm. like somebody could pick up mrs garrity's writing and read it like in the world of castle you know like in this, this shared universe like so i love like what you know or if you get like a t-shirt from like a bar in a book or you know like i just love <laughs> totally. something that a character could also pick up and, and use <laughs> yeah she's uh she's a lot of fun i think i've i i really want to write another stephen king cookbook and i he has given me the go-ahead to research it and we'll see how it goes um but i can't use her again so and i think it'll probably be a fantasy inspired um that's what i would like to do so dark tower and then all the stories that revolve around the dark tower and there's a lot of those some of them even take place in maine 
Yeah. So, yeah. That's really cool. It occurs to me that like, you know, because whenever we talk about like food and books, you know, we're usually going to talk about like Tolkien, you know, or like some kind of fantasy <laughs> thing or like where food is like the center. But it occurs to me that like food is a really important world building detail, not just for fantasy, but for like the, the world that we live in, you know, mm-hmm. or one that looks kind of like ours, but is a little off like Stephen King's world, you know, like food. Exactly. Like, Food is such a, like a, just a lived in detail that can just render something very vivid or very real. Yeah. And, and a lot of things happen when characters are around a table mm-hmm. or they're eating, um, big moments happen. Diana Gabaldone is really good for that, right? She'll have food going all the way around and then someone will just explode in temper and, it, and it makes a really great excerpt because mm-hmm. if you've read the book, you remember that scene for sure. And a lot of people say to me, you know, I don't see, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. When I started Outlander Kitchen, it was like 18th century Scottish food. What a good idea. Not. Um, <laughs> but I don't see I don't see the food in the books they say. And then I, I just say that's because you're not looking for it. Mm-hmm. I now can't, I mean, I can't even read for pleasure without going, oh, fish pie. That <laughs> you know, it's and the poor author's only got one book out, so it's gonna be a while. But um yeah, anyway, I it it's it Stephen King's really good at dropping little things like that in to set the to set the scene in his fantasy books, but also in Maine, like you say, there's just so many lot like Maine foods and and his forward is really great because it goes into what Maine food means to him, which is not necessarily exactly what the cookbook turned out to be, because you can't just fry fish and put vinegar on it and say, hey, here's a recipe. So um, it's a bit more complicated than that. But his simple approach to, to food is what shines in his books, I think. And I think I think what helps, too, is the photos, which <sighs> I would love to give out, <laughs> shout out to Jenny Bravo and her team because yeah. she did an amazing job on those pictures, Beautiful. too. So not only are you imagining in your head, you can see it right in front of you and it's like, this is this is beautiful. Yeah, they're moody, they're mouth watering, they're creepy. Um, and some of them are a little bit disconcerting and you're not quite sure why. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm so lucky that she did. It. And Chantal Lambeth is was the stylist who did all the styling. And the two of them together are a rock star team. Have you worked with them before? No, never. Yeah. Um, they, uh, the art director at 10 Speed Press found them. Um, and they, they, wow, they just got so into it. They were so excited and they got so into it and their prop shopping expeditions were legendary looking for all this creepy stuff. And, you know, there's a few Easter eggs in there. Like there's the Cujo recipe has the Pinto car tag. (laughs) Um, there's a red balloon somewhere in the book. It's a bit hard to find. It's not too hard to find, but it's, it's not right out in front of you. Um, and there's a few other things that make it fun. Oh, I got to go back and double check now. Yeah. Like, really, like, examine it now. I love those things too because they do like reward, you know, multiple readings. And that, yeah. that is something that you're absolutely going to do with a cookbook mm-hmm. because like, if you like a recipe, you're going to keep going back to that. So it's kind of exciting that you could keep discovering something new, you know. And there's lots of people that have no intention of doing any cooking out of this book, oh, right? No. But, you can, <laughs> but you can flip through it. And, and a lot of people say, you know, it's a nice way to travel through the world rather than having like going back into Outlander and reading all 10 books you can just kind of flip through them at leisure and 
and just enjoy yourself for an afternoon or whatever. Yeah. yeah I like that a lot. Um, well, I want to thank you so much for coming to talk to us. This has been so fun and so interesting and, you know, we really were both just like huge fans of this mm-hmm. book. And and I actually was lucky to see um, Killer Mac and Cheese. Oh, yeah. oh my God. It was delicious. It was so good. <laughs> can I w- not wait, wait to make that again? I have, I mean, a whole list of things I'm excited to make. So. Oh, good. We'll take oh, a picture okay. next time. Take Definitely. a picture next time. Post it and tag me and I'll, I'll, I'd love to look at it. I love Perfect. doing that stuff. Yes. Thank you so much. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you so much for listening. Um, listeners, you can get this book, Castle Rock Kitchen, at your favorite uh independent bookstore or library, perhaps. Yes. Uh, this has been Jen and Melissa in conversation with Teresa Carl Sanders. And it is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.